Hello, everyone. I'm Bill Raggio. I'm a senior fellow at Foundation for Defense of Democracies and editor of FDD's Long War Journal. This is Generation Jihad, a podcast that covers all things in what used to be known as the global war on terror, but we now call the Long War. Welcome back to the program, everyone. We've been doing a lot of these episodes, and we're going to continue to do so. This conflict between Israel and Hamas continues, as well as the potential broadening of the conflict. Uh, today, we have a special guest, Sinan Sidi. He's a non-resident senior fellow at Foundation for Defense of Democracies and an expert on Turkish domestic politics and foreign policy. Also, of course, we're joined by Joe Trusman. Sinan and Joe are my friends and colleagues at FDD. Joe is an analyst here at FDD's Long War Journal, and he primarily focuses on Palestinian terror groups and Hezbollah. And uh, he's been closely covering this war. Uh, strongly recommend you follow Joe on Twitter at Joe Trusman. He's helping keeping me up to date on what's happening in the conflict. Uh, very valuable. Sinan is, is, is on, so today we are going to talk Turkey. But before we get to that, let's quickly check in with Joe on the latest news on the conflict. Last evening, we had a U.S. launch two airstrikes against uh, Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, which, of course, is Iran's uh, special operations branch. We hit two weapons storage depots in Syria, and this is in response to Shia militia attacks against U.S. forces. There's been 19 attacks, I believe they said since, uh, well, since the beginning of the war, but uh, in the last 10 days, this is a phenomenal number. Also, yesterday, we had a limited ground incursion by the Israeli de Israel Defense Forces in into Gaza. It looks like they're preparing the battlefield. Uh, Joe, uh, what else is happening in the area before we get into get into it with Sinan? Just give us a quick status update on the on the fighting and the, you know, is this conflict extent expanding in the north? Tell us what tell us what we need to know, Joe. Yeah. Hey, uh, yeah. Happy to be here again. As always. So, yeah, a couple things overnight, as you mentioned, the Israelis went into to Gaza as far as um, on the on, on the coast there. Uh, I think it was on in the north. I can't I can't remember correctly in the north northern Gaza, that is. Um, and then uh, this naval uh, unit or I think it's always it's uh, referred to as uh, Shayatet 13. Um, so there was a limited incursion, we can call it. Uh, now, of course, Hamas tried to spin that. They said that um, this Shayatet 13 contingent or uh, grouping of uh, special forces soldiers, Israeli special forces soldiers, um, left a bunch of weapons and that they had to retreat and that the Air Force, uh, it was the Israeli Air Force that saved them. So they were just spinning it, making it seem like it was Hamas that repelled this uh, attempt by the um, by Israel, but uh, I, I, there's a lot of propaganda going on, so uh, I'd take that with a grain of salt. So anyway, uh, the Israelis did take out a let's say a mid-level commander overnight or yesterday. Uh, I did mention actually uh, when was it uh, Wednesday? We talked about. I said there was a something. Uh, like I guess I said something big happened that day, but we weren't sure what it was. So. Uh, it wasn't until the day after we found out that a uh, Hamas commander, one that actually was involved in planning the October 7th uh, terrorist attack in Israel, uh, he was taken out by the Israelis. So 
uh, I wouldn't say he was a super high level guy, but at the same time, he was important, right? So because he planned, he was one of the people that planned the attack. So he was an important person. So that's what I was. So that's what I was referring to on our podcast on Wednesday. So they did take somebody out. So I was thankfully I was I was I was right on that. So, but anyway, uh, so yeah. So and then in the north, right? So Hezbollah uh, continues to uh, the the losses continue to grow. All right, they're sending guided missile teams, mortar teams rocket teams to um hit idf targets but the closer they get to the border uh the they open themselves up to israeli surveillance the drones and they get hit so right now <clears throat> we're looking at about 40 between 40 and 50 hezbollah members uh killed in action so uh so that's that's i mean for three weeks of fighting that's that's a lot for Hezbollah, uh, but it's it's just a limit. I mean, Hezbollah is huge, so it's just, it's just a limited amount, to be quite honest. So I don't know if it's really going to hurt them, but still, it's a reasonable estimate on the size of Hezbollah's military. Uh, yeah, I've heard, I've heard anywhere from fifty thousand. I hear a hundred thousand. Yeah. Do you do you have a beat on that? Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I think uh, Hassan Nasrallah said like about a hundred thousand, or probably even more than that. Uh, so. It's honestly just like rockets. I think it's uh, their arsenal. It's just an estimation. So definitely in the tens of thousands, probably in that 50,000 range, probably higher than that, actually. So but I couldn't really tell you a number as far as, you know, a definitive one. Right. So and uh, I don't like guessing on things. and So it's a lot, though. So 50 or 40 to 50 really isn't a ton. And I I haven't seen actual commanders like the ones that are very important to the group being taken out. All right. At least that's from Hezbollah's statements, they haven't said it. So um, I think these are like the the foot soldiers that are being taken out. So again, not a, I don't think it's a a huge blow to Hezbollah, but still it's, it's, it's a decent amount of people getting, uh, getting eliminated, being eliminated by, by the IDF. So, um, and interestingly, right before this, and I'll wrap up uh, the Israel, the IDF just said that, Lebe- rockets from Lebanon, I'm assuming they're fired from by Hezbollah, landed in Syria, not in Israel. So essentially, Lebanon, one can argue Lebanon uh, attacked Syria today. Uh, so uh, it's kind of uh, it's kind of interesting. But anyway, that and then uh, there was a drone strike in um, in Egypt, actually, near uh, Elat, which is uh, in, in Israel. So uh, but it, this happened in uh a neighboring town, but in in Egyptian territory, and it looks like it was the Houthis. There's a so uh, don't know what happened. I don't know if this drone was taken out and it crashed, or Houthis just hit the wrong target because it was so close to actual an Israeli city, but in Egyptian territory. So uh, I don't know. So that's interesting. So it seems like the Houthis are still trying, right? But then when we say the Houthis, I mean Iran is still trying to to attack Israel on a different front. So yeah, it uh, sounds like. Um... What you're saying is the Iranians are really basically trying to spur on a wider regional conflict, even trying to join the United States. Am I reading this right? Yeah, no, no, of course. I mean, we were seeing it. I mean, um, uh, uh, Bill mentioned it earlier, just with the Syria, the strikes in Syria, uh, the, re- the American response uh, to uh, the Iranian-backed militias targeting U.S. bases in the region, especially the ones in Syria. So, absolutely, this isn't this is all just a coincidence. I'm sorry. Uh, so, 
the answer is yes. So it's uh, it's this. This is what worries me more than anything. I mean, the Gaza Israel thing is is important. Don't get me wrong, but I'm very concerned about this uh, regional war spark uh, going, you know, uh, blowing up here essentially. So uh, and then on different fronts, uh, we're seeing Egypt being attacked. All right, <laughs> come on, like so, and the Egyptians could respond to it, right? I mean. Technically, they have the right to. So uh, that's what I'm concerned about more than anything, this, this regional war. Uh, and I think the Americans understand that, the Israelis understand that, and everybody else understands that. So, and, and I think Iran is definitely pushing to that, for that, rather. Yeah, and if anything, it seems, you know, to me that these militias, the Houthis, certainly can do much, much more. The Iraqi and Syrian uh, militias can certainly be hitting the U.S. and the Israelis harder. I think what we're what we're seeing is a sort of a form of patience. The Iranians are doing just enough at this point in time to turn up the heat, but not to cause the pot boil over. But I suspect once the Israeli ground invasion kicks off in uh, into northern Gaza, that that heat may be turned up and we may see that that lid blow off the pot. That, again, is my concern as well. Um, and then, you know, you have uh, Turkey who is becoming a belligerent in this uh in this conflict uh, we'll get into that more um let's start, let's do that let's turn back to turkey right now and in two days turkey is going to celebrate its centennial uh its president erdogan has been in power for nine years he's been president of turkey for nine years previously served as prime minister of turkey for 11 years so he's been at the top level of power for over 22 years now um he has been arguably the most influential, I don't even think it's arguable, influential pol politician in Turkey. Um, and he is weighing in on the side of Hamas uh, on October 25th, 25th. He described Hamas as, quote, a liberation group. Uh, you know, he's not calling Hamas a terrorist organization. No, and a group of Mujahideen. Yeah, is that what he's, is that how he put it? A group of exact quote. A group well, of Mujahideen trying to defend themselves. Yes. And uh, yeah, he canceled his planned uh, trip to uh, Israel. Uh, the Israelis, of course, are furious at this, as, as as well they should, given the horrific attack they suffered at the hands of Hamas. So, Sinan, is Erdogan and Turkey's support for Hamas, does this for show, is it just skin deep or or is it real? And if it is real, how deep does, does it go? What are Erdogan's motivations for supporting Hamas as, as he does? I mean, I hate to toot our own horn at this, but um, look, FDD has been spot on on this for not just the last sort of few days, weeks or whatever, but basically since 2011, when it basically first came onto our radar, right, suggesting that Turkey was essentially going to be providing uh, an institutional uh, sort of mechanism for Hamas to exist outside of Gaza, inside of Turkey, right? It's not just you know, a tangential sort of bypassing relationship. Hamas's ability to do what it is, right, in coordination with Iran, is in no small uh, feat due to its direct relationship and base, operating base out of Turkey. And to two, Joe's and Melissa's, um, our two of our colleagues here, Joe's here, Melissa's not, uh, you know, ongoing work on this, which we hope to sort of highlight more, uh, they've been basically mapping out Hamas's organizational network inside of Turkey that covers individuals, members of parliament, companies, persons who have directly and not even clandestinely for the most part, sort of directly enabled and sort of, um, you know, 
shone up uh, Hamas's you know institutional existence in Turkey. In fact, the United U.S. Treasury just sanctioned more entities, which Joe and his team had been basically warning about, saying and highlighted by name and company association, saying these guys are bankrolling and you know fundraising for for Hamas, right? Um, so this has been really going on since 2011, when you know there was an initial prisoner exchange, uh, allowing for one US Israeli soldier to be released by Hamas in return for ten Hamas militants that then were essentially given residence inside of Turkey. And then from then on in, there were reports suggesting that the Turkish government transferred somewhere in the region of $300 million to Hamas inside of Turkey that allowed them to get a base, right? And since then, what we've seen is Hamas has basically established up a shop, offices, which the government has, has granted. Um, they've been given Turkish passports. And when we say Turkish passports, let's be clear, they were given to one of the likely masterminds or two of the likely masterminds of, of the 10-7 attacks, Ismail uh, Haniyeh and uh, Salih al-Aruri, right? And if you, if, you know, if your listeners were paying attention, Ismail Haniyeh was reportedly, based on al Monitor's reporting, he was basically supposed to be in Turkey on the morning of the attacks, right? And as soon as these started happening, apparently the Turkish government said, uh, quote, that he should leave politely. You know, he was politely asked to leave Turkey, end quote. Um, so this isn't just a sort of tangential relationship. And to your further question, Bill, is this surface deep or, you know, Erdogan, is Erdogan pragmatic, you know, trying to sort of hedge between this? Not at all. Look, if anything, Erdogan has been swimming against the grain since 2022 when they've been supposedly trying to rebuild, you know, ties with Israel, which he wrecked with the Marbi Marmara incident back in 2009, right? Um and, you know, that's why he was supposed to sort of shake hands with Netanyahu, whom he hates. And, you know, the, the, the feelings mutual on the other side. Um, he hosted the Israeli president, Isaac Herzog, you know, back last year. So none of that was moving anywhere because the big elephant in the room in terms of rebuilding ties between Turkey and Hamas was essentially, well, Israel says we can't really have a relationship until you outlaw and disestablish Hamas. And they're not willing to do that. Right. Um, and the fact that now he's really come out in sort of all guns blazing for Hamas. And we're about to get a full spectacle of this tomorrow, right? If, if your listeners are interested in this, in a sort of pro-Hamas sort of pep rally watching, they can tune in to basically any media outlet in Turkey. There is something called a Great Palestine meeting in Istanbul's main airport, the one that was closed and um, uh, a couple of years ago, where Erdogan's going to be headlining this meeting. So it's going to be pretty vile, full of anti-Semitic, anti-Israeli slurs, we're guessing, right? Um, so none of this is sort of unintentional. And Erdogan is really coming out of this. And we should also mention that FDD research showed that uh, this summer gone, uh, Israeli customs authorities seized close to 16 tons of raw material, which apparently was is directly used in the making of rocket explosives. And that was seized from a ship that was bound from Turkey to the Gaza Strip. What we don't know if is if the Turkish government was directly involved in this or they were turning a blind eye and I have no faith in this, whether they just didn't know about it. Right. How do you surreptitiously move 16 tons of explosive materials with nobody paying attention? Um, we can talk about Turkish public opinion on this. Right. I mean, no, I was looking at this and historically before Erdogan, Turkish public opinion I would say, was not overly complimentary towards Israelis or, you know, uh, 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 Jews in general. But let's be clear, Mustafa Kemal's republic, right, established strong protections for not just, you know, um, 
uh, non-Muslims in general, but the, you know, the, the Jewish minority in Turkey was Turkey's largest sizable minority. Jews have existed in Turkey since the, you know, the, the, they were shoved out of the Iberian and Spanish peninsula, right? You know, when, 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 when sort of Turks or Islam is close to Erdogan's party line, you know, shout out these anti-Israeli or anti-Semitic slurs. Let's be clear, when they tell these people to go home, Jews in Turkey have existed in Turkey for over 600 years. So, you know, when they say go home, those people have existed and that, that, that is their homeland as far as they're concerned. They are primarily Turkish citizens. They're proud of their Jewish Jewish heritage. Um, and to the extent that AKP has tried to vilify them, shame on them simply because, you know, it must be doubly awful living in Turkey, having being a Jew, but also witness Erdogan's daily diatribe of grotesque remarks against Israel and the Jewish faith and culture in general, simply because who's there to defend them? I'll stop there briefly, because I could just go on forever. No, that's great. Really, he's telling them to go home. Where would that be? Would it be Israel? Isn't he, isn't Erdogan saying the... I don't know. I mean, he he hasn't said that, but it's his followers who just like, you know... Okay, okay. I I saw, uh, we saw, you know, uh, uh, a sign up on a bookshop in a pretty conservative district of Istanbul yesterday, which kind of went viral. Um, saying Jews not allowed into this bookstore. I mean, I was just absolutely flabbergasted. Um, you know, it's not that the Kemalists or the pro-secular party is innocent of sort of anti-Jewish position historically, not at all. But, you know, the Jews overwhelmingly in Turkey vote, you know, quite you know strongly for the Kemalist party, the party of Ataturk that established Turkey, right? Simply because they feel that that party is the best guarantor of their rights as citizens in Turkey. And let's be clear, you know, Jews in Turkey are the backbone of the middle class, the backbone of the industrial sort of job creating class that has built Turkey to the economy that it is today. Some of the biggest industrialist families account for a significant portion of Turkey's GDP generation to sort of vilify this faith and this culture in general, but also at home by putting up signs saying Jews not welcome is not only reminiscent of the 1930s in Germany, but also, it's just fundamentally unacceptable. Now, most level-headed Turks agree with this position, saying that it's grotesque. But the rank and file of AKP supporters are being radicalized, right? That needle is being turned in favor because Erdogan has made no attempt to prevent, to prevent for example, attacks uh, upon the Israeli sort of diplomatic uh, compound. So if you saw like four the ten seven attacks, you know, the Israeli consulate in, in, in Istanbul was surrounded by a mob firing fireworks at the embassy. And I did not see any attempt by law enforcement who are charged with protecting foreign missions to sort of prevent this. I haven't seen Erdogan basically saying anything in, 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 in the realm of, you know, we you know we are saddened by the events of what happened in, on 10-7 when we condemn this massacre. None of that. It's basically just saying, you know, Hamas is a Mujahideen group that uh, the Israelis are killing babies, you know, it's the usual Erdogan that we know. So it's not like, you know, if Erdogan wanted to act strategically in this environment, you would have hoped, but sort of like, at the very least, trying to toe the Qatari line in terms of not going full Hamas, you know, at least putting a veneer of, you know, let's be calm and collected about this, we want to mediate, of course, we're saddened what's happened. But, you know, by them, you know, make references to a wider sort of political problem that exists in the background of this conflict. None of that at all. He's just basically gone straight out of the barn gate, right, saying whatever. And that's going to ruin ties between the United States and Turkey and, to, and the pressure upon Turkey to, to, to um, you know, 
by Turkey's Western allies is going to increase. We, we're seeing, uh, you know, important movers of this already. Um, what we're seeing is already, you know, Joe just mentioned some entities that are being sanctioned in, in, in the last few hours or a couple of days. Those are going to increase. The, the more entities in Turkey that are openly Hamas, uh, those will be sanctioned likely. Uh, there was a letter that was sent out by the office of Secretary, um, not Secretary, I'm sorry, Congressman Papas, co-sponsored by Bilirakis, a bipartisan letter sent by the House of Representatives, approximately 50 people close to, sent that letter to Secretary Anthony Blinken saying, demanding that Turkey's relationship with Hamas be basically terminated on all levels. Basically suggests asking that all material support, and I don't use that term lightly, for Hamas should be terminated. And our colleagues at FTD Action were instrumental in helping to draft that letter. So we're, we're, we're very proud, essentially, in, in, in making sure that gets out of the barn gates. Uh, because, and, and, and that level of pressure is likely to increase as, as, as this conflict continues to escalate. Yeah, yeah, let me reiterate, you know, your kudos to Joe and Melissa and the team at FDD that have been working these issues long before people knew that these were issues. Um, it is interesting at times like these when, you know, your work sort of culminates and um, you get to see the effect. It also really does suck when you find out you were right, right? You're sitting there in the background explaining Turkey's a problem, its relationship with Hamas, it's becoming authoritarian. These things, when and and then this war breaks out, and you see, and and it's all there. It's all there to to see. But the, it's embarrassing. I mean, so I'll tell you straight up. I mean, some of my Turkish colleagues and friends have reached out to me personally, saying, you know, you should be ashamed of yourself. You know, you're shilling for American interests or Israeli interests. What's wrong with you? And my and my hit back is, you know, and they're basically saying I'm, you know, under the influence of Zionist CIA-backed FDD payroll. I'm like, okay, guys. Do you know how embarrassing this is for me as a person who originates from Turkey? I wake up, at the, like you mentioned at the beginning, this Sunday is Turkey's centenary as a republic. Do you know how embarrassing this is? That where I was born and grew up, a country which I love, right, is basically uh, protecting a known terrorist entity that's amped, that, that, that was amped on, on captagons before they assassinated, you know, Israeli citizens who just basically had woken up or were going about their daily business, that my country's government supports the one of the vilest terrorist entities in the entire world. And at the same time, whilst criticizing Israel for supposedly uh, engaging in counterterrorism operations, the Turkish military has been engaged in strike, conducting over 500 military strikes in northern east, northeast Syria killing Kurds, targeting hospitals, civilian infrastructure, uh, and nobody's paying attention to this because Erdogan is not wasting the opportunity of a crisis to get in the way of him murdering our, uh, uh, our Kurdish partners who, on a daily basis, fight ISIS. Let's just be clear. This is hugely embarrassing for me. I am ashamed. Uh, that's not the country I was born into or grew up in, unfortunately. Yeah, it's a difficult position to be in. I um was in a similar situation with the the fall of Afghanistan, right? Having to be critical of the U.S. military, of the U.S. government, um, watching President Biden denounce Afghans, saying they weren't willing to fight when they died by the tens of thousands over the years, and were actively fighting against the Taliban as we withdrew. It's it it really is it it just makes you question why you do what you do at, at times like these. Um, Joe, can you give us a little flavor on some of the recent sanctions? I know that they're probably not household names for people here in the United States, but what efforts are being done um, by the U.S. government to to push sanctions to 
hope, hope. I mean, look, I'm, I'm always skeptical of the sanctions game. Um, I think they're, they're important for us to identify problems and, and nodes and to take action against them. But the reality is, is like regimes tend to just ignore them. And, you know, like, I don't think Turkey's just going to turn around tomorrow because we sanctioned some businesses and individuals, but tell us uh, and, and stop its support for Hamas. But it, again, it is important to identify these and, and put that out there so that U.S. businesses don't get tied up into it. But yeah, tell us a little bit about some of the sanctions that have been uh, put down. Yeah, so and Sinan uh, mentioned this, and <clears throat> but uh, part of my work, and I don't actually talk about a lot, is uh, networking uh, Hamas, or rather identifying Hamas networks in other countries. Okay, so in uh, this one specifically, it's been Turkey. And even in more detail, uh, their financial illicit financial transactions that they do in Turkey. So um, the, Hamas's involvement in Turkey is definitely not skin deep. This is uh, very legit. It's turned essentially the way I see it is that it's turned Turkey into a, a hub for uh, financial transactions and um, uh, military operations. OK, so the way I see it is that. Hamas makes money uh, to bankroll its terrorism in Turkey. Yes, they do it in other countries as well. Don't get me wrong. This is just a Turkey thing. So, um, but it's big in Turkey. So some of the people that have been sanctioned, some of the entities, individuals uh, in the last few weeks, uh, that are, one was a few of them been today and a couple of them were, uh, I think it was last week or the week before, that were sanctioned by the by Treasury uh, were people uh, that I'm familiar with and that I've looked into and uh, that the evidence was is there that they've been uh, that they're involved in financing terrorism for especially for for Hamas. So uh, it's very pleasing to see them being uh, sanctioned and uh, designated because they absolutely deserve it. And uh, the very important thing is that uh, some of these some of these individuals, uh, they're in other countries as well. They're doing this in other countries. And on top of that, there are other individuals that are connected to them that appear that are doing the same thing in Turkey and in other countries. So this is just the tip of the iceberg as far as uh, Hamas's um, network, a uh, financial network. Okay. So they're getting some, which is very good news. They're, the treasury is designating some, but from the analysis that we've done at FDD, we've done a, a really thorough job of it. So um, regardless it's there's it's just the tip of the iceberg there uh, as far as financial uh, Hamas's financial schemes in, in these countries. So I think that's important to note. Uh, Joe, can so, I just yeah. ask you a question just yeah. to get, get your view on this? Because, you know, you've been doing this for a while and it's really interesting work. I mean, FTD has been spot on. Like we've actually come up with individuals. You know, we have amazing diagrams and mapping that you guys have produced. Um, has it why does it why is it taking just. The, the October 7th massacre for the U.S. officials to take an increasing sort of focus. Oh, let's go and sanction some more people. I mean, these were, you know, the U.S. targeted, you know, sanction, you know, designated Hamas a terrorist organization. So, you know, Qatar, Turkey, and other sort of foreign bases. Why has it taken 10-7 to move on these individuals? Or am I just, you know, misrepresenting or misframing the, the sort of the scene here? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. So... <laughs> In a perfect world, they'd be sanctioned, designated, whatever, immediately, right? But it just doesn't work that way, at least in my experience. All right, this is just—I'm just talking about me. What, what I've been through. So, uh, what have I experienced? So, 
it, it takes something big like 10-7 to get the um how how should I describe it? The wheels turning to for uh let's say treasury to go after individuals. Uh, so so yeah, I, I I wish it would be faster, but it should be quicker because there are other groups as well or entities that I'm that I think oh definitely you should go after these guys or like uh, there's Palestinian armed groups like the Popular Resistance Committees uh, that have a long track record of terrorism attacking uh americans by the way americans uh and uh participating in this huge this october 7th attack that have not been designated as a foreign terrorist organization even though the i believe the criteria is there uh the the um designation or the criteria to meet designate uh, designation is there but it isn't so i'm i'm hoping that this will happen at least with this group and other entities but yeah it's just that's just not the way the world things work unfortunately something big has to happen to get the attention of the authorities to get these designations i mean uh, we have place. Yeah. it seems it seems on one level we're just upset about you know we're afraid of the united states is up, 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 afraid of upsetting you know a bunch of individuals that we could have sanctioned like the ones that came out this morning that you and i noted um i mean who were we afraid of upsetting if we hey if we designate and sanction some of these nasty people and and the companies that they own? I mean, it just befuddles me. I, I'm I'm not necessarily looking for an answer at this point on this, but it is bewildering that you know we we, we weren't able to act on this uh, you know with more guts before this. Not that it would have prevented this thing, or maybe it could have like dealt a higher blow, but it just seems incredulous that we just waited until a massive tragedy. So the, the the designation process, it just doesn't happen overnight. These groups are being investigated. They're building a legal case because with the U.S. designations, they try they want these to be rock solid. So they're very meticulous and they want to bring them to particularly European governments so that they will also sanction these individuals. So the reality is, is the individuals who are sanctioned today, that work began very likely years ago. But what you had both alluded to here is that it takes a big something big in order to push it over the finish line, basically, right? And and I've seen this numerous times with designations of multiple jihadist groups. It, they nearly own, always happen after some type of big big event, which makes them, I think it actually weakens the, the designation process. It makes it look like, oh, all of a sudden the U.S. reflexively designated this individual or that individual because of some type of attack and it's a retaliation, when in reality these things are have been researched have been worked on it should be pushed out it shouldn't take an october 7th or a you know a mumbai or you know pick your major terrorist attack over you know the period of the last two decades to push a sanctions designation over the finish line look these are bad people and bad entities you should have done this before and it's not a moment of i told you so but can you please take this stuff seriously, right? Um, you know, you, you, connections are abound. I'll, I, as, as Joe was talking, another sort of, look, Turkey's not just Hamas, but look at the Iranian back sort of connection to this too. Uh, back sometime earlier this year, I, I believe it's February, um, Treasury officials uh, sanctioned a Turkish national in Turkey by the name of Sitka Ayan. And we wrote about this and we publicized it. This guy is one degree removed from Erdogan personally, right? And this guy was sanctioned for, again, breaching U.S. sanctions on Iran for selling oil and gas on behalf of, 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 of the Iranians, right? And, and, and allowing those proceeds, 
basically of that sale to 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 essentially be put into the coffers of the IRGC. I'm not making this stuff up. This is a U.S. Treasury sanctioned official that's directly related to Erdogan. They went to school together. They grew up together. In fact, several years ago, uh, he he basically worked for Erdogan. Uh, to mask the identity of an oil tanker, which was worth basically $25 million, right? And and basically the accusation stands that he masked the identity of that. And the proceeds from the sales of that oil were, uh, were suspected to be going to the Erdogan family, right? This stuff it, that we write about is not just sort of gobbledygook that we just make up. We take the lead, we investigate, we work with officials from Treasury, and sometimes essentially those sanctions end up working. The Ion story we basically assumed was at that time intended as a warning shot across the bow by the U.S. government to Turkey saying, hey, if you're still breaching sanctions against Iran that were reimposed after 2018, please don't go the way of the Hotbank. Think that, you know, we helped bus back in whenever, several years before that. Um, but it's, I would not be surprised if Turkey is still doing this, you know, and, and helping out the RGC, right? Um, so we have to be, you know, we have to dust this stuff off and... We will continue challenge, challenging this work to officials in the hope that they will take it seriously and act upon it. It's not that hard. Yeah, I concur. A quick question for this is for both of you, gentlemen. Um, where did you put Turkey in the hierarchy of the supporters for Hamas? Is is it number one? Is it number two? You, you know, I would say the major supporters being Iran, Qatar, uh, Turkey. Who am I? Who am I missing here? Um, Malaysia, yeah. So, where 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 would you rank rank Turkey in that hierarchy? Would it be number one? Would it be number two? Would it be number? Uh, I'll, I'll go first, real quick, and then uh, by all means, Sinan, you can add to it. Uh, but yeah, uh, I think Iran is number one, of course, and that's I think that's yeah, it's just because of the support, all the money they send. Uh, but uh, then Turkey, I think, is too. Just, uh, I mean, you could maybe say Doha or Qatar as well, but um, I think Turkey, just because of the, I think the amount of money that Hamas makes uh, uh, in Turkey and the support it gets through Turkey and uh, the military activity it uh, it uh, it has there, or the the hub that it has for military activity, especially uh, for for attacks or operations uh, that are directed from Turkey uh, to to the West Bank, right? Because uh, there's Hamas, obviously Hamas is in, in, in uh, the West Bank. So I would, I would put it right up there, probably two or three, but but yeah, right behind, uh, right behind Iran. But of course, Sinan, I'd, I'd love to hear your opinion. Oh, I mean, see, the hierarchy, I'm not confident to weigh in on in terms of, I mean, the work you guys do in terms of sort of just building those connections, I'm not intelligent enough with the material, the data to suggest where Turkey ranks in this. But I would just back you up by saying, look, it's clear the reason why FDD has a Turkey program since the early 2010s is because it's come to our attention or my colleague's attention way before I started there. The Turkey is increasingly becoming an enabler of not just Hamas, but also other radical Islamist entities in the region. I mean, if you just look at its role in Syria, it is still backing Al-Qaeda affiliated extremist organizations such as Hayat Tahrir al-Sham, not to mention some other odious groups, right? Um, and that is hampering our ability to ensure that ISIS doesn't basically flare up again. So I don't know about ranking, but it's clear Turkey's really established itself as a household name in backing extremist organizations in the region. And that's, again, for me, that's embarrassing. I, I'm not, I don't sort of say, see, I got you. I mean, it hurts, right? That is not the country I'm an, you know, that I originated in. And that's sad. 
You know, Sinan, I'm very familiar with that sentiment that you have now that I think about it. I'm good friends with uh, Hussein Haqqani. He's uh, Pakistan's former ambassador to the U.S. He can't go back to Pakistan, right? He'll be thrown into prison. And he talks about Pakistan's relationship with terrorist organizations, with the Taliban, other groups. And you could hear that pain in his voice, right? He's a patriot. He loves his country. He can never go home. And he has to sit there and go on the radio and write and print because he and, and he does it not because he's being paid as a shill by the CIA or whoever else, but because it's not the direction he wants to see his country go. And I, I asked that question specifically because I've seen with, you know, it always seems like all roads lead back to Afghanistan with me, but there's there's parallels, right? Pakistan clearly was the number one supporter of the Taliban. But one of the things we were able to prove in a court of law is that Iran was um, – a significant supporter of both the Taliban and Al Qaeda, safe haven money, training, um, uh, you know, all uh, weapons, all forms of aid. And I, I once I got through the case and looked at this, I said, look, you know, I always had to talk to the lawyers that were working on this. I said, look, Pakistan, when I began it, right, I, I thought Pakistan clearly is number one and, you know, kind of looked at the Iranian support as a little bit of a sideshow. But it became over time, it dawned on me, this Iranian support was significant. And that's what I'm getting with Turkey's continual support. It's like it it, it seems to be building to a point where it's not just a chipping in with a little bit of aid, but it's a considerable support node for, for groups like Hamas. And uh, it's a worrying development because Turkey is a member of NATO. Uh, right, and, it's getting, and it's getting into trouble. See, that that's the problem. So if you say, well, given all this that we've just put out there, why is the US government uh, or NATO itself really sort of still putting up with this? That's a really good question. And I do know at least our colleague, John Shanzer, has basically been on the airwaves recently saying, well, at least we should have the conversation of what it takes to sort of hold a member inside of NATO accountable for acting against NATO's interests. Should that should a part of that discussion be in terms of tossing out members? I don't know. It might be a worthwhile conversation having because NATO was created to essentially thwart a Soviet enemy. It was never created with a mechanism to answer what do you do with an insider threat. That's a problem. Um, but to the extent that you know the US is dithering on it, it's not because it doesn't know how to know what to do. It, it is worried about burning bridges in terms of, well, look, if, if if we just hold it to account along the lines that we're suggesting at FDD, then what would happen to, with Turkey's cooperation in, with against the Russians to the limited extent that it exists, right? Such as, you know, they would help the grain shipment deal, they sold them a bunch of their drones, et cetera, et cetera. They still close off the the, the Black Sea to, um, to Russian warships in the Mediterranean. Right. I mean, I don't necessarily say I agree with that because I think for every sort of, you know, you know, small thing that they do right, as in the bare minimum, what it takes to be an ally, such as maybe approved Swedish accession into NATO, we are sort of bombarded with a barrage of stuff that they shouldn't do. Right. And at this point that, you know, the, the, the tipping point seems to have been surpassed. But, you know, officials in, in various administrations and, and have been sort of reticent to actually just sort of, you know, be increasingly more punitive against Turkey. Yeah, I mean, look, allies should have shared values, right? We should be able to recognize what a terrorist organization is. And if Turkey can't look at what Hamas did on October 7th and reevaluate what the definition of terrorism is and what Hamas is as an organization, as you notice, and, and properly, um, we have to question its commitment on, you know, the the main issue that it, it that it's 
the main reason why it's in NATO, right, was to thwart Soviet aggression. Now, obviously, to maintain an alliance for for the European countries. But yeah, it, it, it's a real puzzle. And the U.S. The last thing the U.S. and Europe wants is the shrinking of NATO with the growing Russian problem with the Russia's war in Ukraine. So th- these are real dilemmas for for the U.S. for NATO countries. Um, I'm going to have two quick questions and then we'll wrap this up. Um, uh, Sinan, you mentioned that there's a, you basically described a slide towards anti-Semitism in, in Turkey. Is Erdogan and, and his AKP party, are they aware of the implications of what they're doing? Are they acting reflexively here? Do they, you know, what what is, I can't understand the motivations for this, that they, it's hard to believe that they can't see the impact of what they're doing here, as you noted, but the potential destroying of a significant portion of the middle class that props up Turkish industry and Turkish business. I mean, aside from the actual, right, the the, the uh, moral dimension of this, there's a sort of a self-destructive act aspect of this. I mean, it's hard to answer. I agree with you, Bill. Um, um... You know, it's a longer conversation, but one of the things that I've been looking at over the last, just pondering back, you know, it's a good question, motivation, why does he do this, knowing full well? Look, it's a, some part of it, some part and parcel of this has to be about Erdogan's legacy, right? I mean, uh, he's 70, close to 70, going on 90, right? I mean, he's tired, he's been in power for 21 years, he's pissed off that he hasn't been able to outdo the reputation of Ataturk, which he has been essentially trying to, you know, supplant in the Turkish mindset. He said back in 2018, when he was elected a president for the second time, right, that, you know, the AKP and his government, he's been very, they've succeeded in every sort of ambition as, as, you know, in leaving their mark for Turkey in a very consequential manner, except in the realm of culture and education, right? Translation, that means essentially really remaking the image of Turkey in a, in a less Kemalist, less, you know, at a Turkey, and if you want to call it that, um, much more sort of conservative, Islamically rooted. Um, you know, he, he often talked about the creation of a pious youth to sort of regenerate Turkey in, in the 21st century. That hasn't taken root. I mean, over half the country hates this guy. Um but on the one level, I think that destructive thing that you te- that you mentioned is he's just digging in. This is what he's sort of, this is how he is hardwired. He is an Islamist through and through. If you look at the sort of trajectory of how Erdogan was politically socialized and raised in a movement, he was raised in Turkey's most anti-systemic uh, political movement. You know, the political Islam movement in Turkey that he grew up in is just hateful and remorseful of the country that Ataturk built. He tried to essentially sort of, um, play by the rules for the first part of his tenure in power in the early 2000s, right? And then he's basically thought, well, I can do whatever I want because if I grew the country economically, then I can shape the culture of Turkey, the country politically and, and socially too. That hasn't worked. And even, instead of good backtracking on that and say, well, let, let me let me actually take Turkey to where it deserves to be in, in the Western fold, I'm just going to continue digging in, even if that means that's going to be the end of the Republic as a secular uh, as a publicly accountable uh, entity, which has a large social contract and buy-in from its people. He doesn't care. That gets back to the first question that we discussed, right? Is this skin deep or is this, is he a true believer? In, in, He's a true in, believer. He'll, he'll and, die trying, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's, he, I often, think... I, he often says we came into this business with our kefan, you know, our, our burial shroud, as in he's ready to die for the cause of whatever that means. I, sure. I'm willing to bet he won't backtrack um, from being an authoritarian guy that just tries to sort of subdue his people into the, you know, until he dies. But one thing is for sure is I don't see him, you know, he's not going to leave power peacefully. And final question here, uh, and I'll start with you, Joe. Um, is Turkey and Israel over the last couple of years have been working to restore the relationship. After all of this, do you think this is irreconcilable? I realize we're looking into the future here. There's a lot that's going to go on in between. Do you think that this relationship is irreconcilable at this point? Uh, unless unless uh, Turkey takes concrete steps against Hamas, which I highly doubt they they will, just due to you know the history and, and current rhetoric that uh, Erdogan has has been saying. Uh, I doubt they're going to recover from this anytime soon. Anyway, I mean, it seemed like uh, you know in the last couple of years that uh, relation the relationship between Turkey and Israel was coming to mending. Right? It was it was it was nice to see. You know, Herzog came to uh, uh, spoke with Erdogan and met Erdogan rather. So, um, yeah, but no, I just don't see it. Just because if. Israel has, is, has declared war on Hamas, and Hamas needs to eradicate Hamas, all right? That's what they've declared after October 7th. So if another country like Turkey uh, is harboring Hamas, members of Hamas, especially its leadership, very important people, uh, then I, I just don't see Israel, uh, again, mending ties, right, with with, with with Turkey. So I just don't see it happening anytime soon, unless, unless Turkey... Unless Turkey takes those steps first, which I doubt they'll do. Uh, right, which yeah, yeah. you see on which he laid, just laid out, right? I mean, Erdogan's a believer. How do we expect him to just turn on Hamas? But go ahead, your 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 view, Sina. I mean, yeah, just echo that. I think that, you know, and t- Turkey could make a move against Hamas um, if Erdogan is out of the picture. But that's you know the underlying point is if Turkey was an institutional government, right, where you know, Turkey's foreign ministry, Turkey's sort of establishment, sort of uh, government agencies uh, in, in 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 the so-called good old days, even if it was a flawed democracy, right? I cannot imagine or envision a scenario in which Turkey would have ever established that or established Hamas as an entity inside of Turkey. Um, to the extent that, you know, they are pulling the weight for Erdogan's sort of um, uh, uh, position on this, uh, the, you know, they don't i don't necessarily feel they feel comfortable right so you know take what you know turkey's ambassador to washington right who's been here for several years he's basically been going around trying to sort of soft pedal um a message from erdogan a more more placatory image of turkey he's been going around sort of visiting pro-jewish american organizations trying to say look we're you know we stand with you not in this current crisis but just previously right like we, we at a time in last year when turkey was trying to rebuild ties with israel and then following, you know, the 10-7 attacks, what you see is Erdogan going out blasting Israel, saying, you know, that that, that, that its behavior is bordering, quote, genocidal actions, end quote, right? And what, what's the ambassador to do with that? And, you know, we, you know and, and when people ask him about, you know, well, how do you square Erdogan's personal remarks with what you were trying to do for the past year in terms of, you know, help rebuild ties between major Jewish organizations in America and Turkey? You know, he looks at it and probably just says, hey, it's complicated. I, I, he, it's, it's an unsellable message. You know, if, if Erdogan's out of the picture, I think Turkey's hand becomes a little easier. But, you know, an Erdogan in, in leadership just constrains everything. 
gentlemen, thanks for your insights today. Joe, thanks as always. Great to have you on Generation Jihad. So, you know, we got to get you back on soon. Thank you, guys. Thanks a lot. Yeah, man. Thanks, everyone, for joining us for today's episode of Generation Jihad. Just a reminder, you can find us on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Make sure you subscribe and leave us a review, preferably a positive one, but only if we earned it. Thanks again. We'll see you all again soon.